This is the We Fish with Phoenix Boats podcast, built by anglers for anglers. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the We Fish with Phoenix Boats podcast. I'm your host, Tim Trockenbrook. With me is my co-host, Brian Travis, and today in studio, special guest, locked in a room with a honey badger, Randall Tharp. Came up uh, to Winchester last night to pick up his new rig, and uh, now we got him cornered for a little while. Yeah, it's, it's good to be here. Uh, I appreciate you guys having me. Uh, I remember when we were pulling up here today, I think it was five or six years ago, how nervous I was the first time I came here. I don't know why I was nervous, because I knew a lot of the people that work in this plant just from years of fishing in North Alabama and South Tennessee, and it's just where I'd cut my teeth fishing and and you know that's what phoenix boats is that's why i know that know most of these guys mm. before my relationship uh now and uh i think that's what separates this company honestly is just there's more people that bass fish and tournament bass fish in this building than in all the other boat companies in the united states <laughs> put together and uh i don't know i've always had a passion for it to other people here and and uh now i don't get nervous it feels like i'm coming home so well, we get nervous here in North Alabama seeing you come back after your reign of terror on Gunnersville and the <laughs> Warrior right. and the Smith. Man, we weren't – we're glad to see you, but glad Man. you're back down in Florida too sometimes. Dude, I love I love it up here. I love fishing up here. I actually spent like a week on Lake Jordan, uh, which is in central Alabama last week, and it brought a lot of memories back and, you know, just had a really fun week catching some giant spotted bass down there. and. And, uh, you know, Alabama is the place. Like, uh, I, I spent the night with Lucas last night, and he's doing stuff now that I was doing 10 years ago, and it just, you know, fishing tail races this mm -hmm. time of year, catching big smallmouth and spots and largemouth. And, you know, it's something that I miss living in Florida. Uh, I miss that just within two hours of where we're sitting right here. You can go to, like, so many different river systems and, fish 25 below 25 dams which is my favorite thing to do this time of year and catch big small mouth and spots and heavy current and you know it may be cold here but the fish are biting oh absolutely absolutely well speaking back to when you got started you got started later on in life than a kid that was five watching bob cobb on sunday uh you had a career you were in the army and then you progressed into i mean there's only one trophy, two trophies. You haven't won. I mean, you've got everything. <laughs> There's a few still I'd like to check off. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but for me, you know, I, I did get started later in life. I mean, I, I didn't have a bass boat till I think I was in my early 30s, uh, my first bass boat. And, and I didn't, you know, can't live in Alabama without knowing what's going on. I mean, mm -hmm. you can fish a tournament here, you know, just about other than Thanksgiving and Christmas. If you really wanted to find a tournament to fish, you can fish just about all year. So I got caught up in, I love fishing, and I, I got caught up in that tournament scene. And I still say I've traveled all around the world, not just the United States, bass fishing. And there's not a better place to cut your teeth than, than where I did here in Alabama. And I think that's why so many people have relocated here. I think that's also a perfect place for this boat factory to be right mm -hmm. in central, you know, tournament fishing world in the southeast United States. And uh you know, it's it. Uh, one reason I feel like though I was successful is because I did start later in life. You know, I had a lot of experience, like you said, being in the military. I ran a business, uh, and financially, I didn't have that burden of man. I had to catch a fish. Right. You know, Sarah had a really good job, and I had won enough money fishing around here that I could go fish. I could shut my business down, go fish a couple years, 
And uh, I didn't have that pressure of having to catch one. And I see it every day out there. And my time at FLW, my time on the Elite Series, and now at MLF, you know, it's not what most people think. There's a lot of guys that, man, I got to get a paycheck or I'm going to be struggling to feed my family. I'm going to be struggling to get to the next tournament. I mean, I remember guys that didn't have gas money to get from to the next event. That's crazy. And uh, it's still that way to some extent. But uh, that's one reason that I felt like I was successful is just because I didn't have that extra added pressure. And uh, it made it easier for me to – I wouldn't say swing for the fence, but it made, made it easier to me – for me to fish to win, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't have to necessarily worry about catching a limit of fish or trying just trying to squeak and get a check. And and I still kind of make fun of guys, Lucas, Lucas especially. I'm gonna pick on him because he's one of my good friends. But he'd always come up to me, "What do you think it's gonna take to get a check?" And I'd just look at him right in the eyes and I'd be like, "Buddy, if you're fishing for a check, you might as well just go to the house." Mm-hmm. And I still feel that way. I still like to fish to win, and mm-hmm. and I've I spent my whole career fishing that way and. I've had my share of bad tournaments, but uh, luckily I've had a few good ones too. Now, is that, I've got a question for you on this topic. I've heard you speak before about, you know, timing is critical to coming into being a professional fisherman. Um, I think I've heard you say some things along the lines of just because you get the invitation that day doesn't mean it's the time you need to take it. Um, could you explain that a little more? Are you talking more about the, the business side of it, you know, being mature in the business side or um, – setting yourself up like you're saying where you can go out there and do what you need to do on a daily basis without worrying about covering bills at home. You know, what is that? Yeah, there's two sides to that. And and I still believe that firmly. Uh, financially, you need to be, be stable and ready. I mean, you know, I've been in the fishing industry for 11 or 12 years now, and it's taken that long to build relationships. Nothing happens overnight in the fishing industry. I mean, you got to work a lot of trade shows and sell a lot of products before you actually start making some decent money financially. So that takes time and skill wise, you know, there's a lot of guys that, you know, qualify to fish the elite series, say, or, or, or qualify to fish the FLW tour. And, you know, that financially they may have the means to get there, but they're not honest with their self about their abilities. You know, if you can't win tournaments at the local level and then the regional level, I think you're kidding yourself that you're going to come up there and fish against KVD and, and the boys that I fish against every mm-hmm. week, because, you know, I've seen I've seen it for 12 years. I mean, those guys don't feel sorry for you when you tee it up on the first team. They're bringing their A game, and they've got everything in their favor. And if you you know you're worried about getting a check, and you know you you know all those doubts start coming into your mind. And and that's one thing. When I qualified to fish the Elite Series the first time, I didn't go, and I wasn't ready. I qualified the second time, and I didn't go because I really wasn't ready at that time either. But the third time. I'd won the cup then. I'd accomplished things that I wanted to do. And then when I went to tee it up against those boys the first time, they're on another level. There is no doubt. The Justin Lucases of the world, the Greg Hackneys, the Aaron Martins, KVDs, I mean, they are they are the best. And, you know, I, I just I, – I hate it to see guys jump up there before they're ready. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, when it's – when we tee it up, you got to have your A game on. Y'all are licking your chops, though, when those guys come up there. You know, we're all friends. We all have a love for the sport of tournament fishing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I hate I hate to see somebody sleeping in the back of their truck and not getting paid all year. Uh, to me, that was a flaw in the system. I do think the longer I've been involved, that's getting fixed. It's getting better. Mm-hmm. You don't see that as much as you used to. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a pretty small, pretty small world. 
And uh, it's been good to me. I've made tons of friends, you know, throughout my career. And uh, I still love it as much today as I did when I started. Man, when I started fishing tournaments around here, the Tuesday night, you know, jackpot tournaments and then the BFLs and to where I'm at today, I still am excited and I'm probably more excited to go fishing this next year than I've ever been. Really? You just feel rejuvenated? You know, I do. I mean, the new tour last year was a lot of change for for the fishermen. It was a lot of change for the whole fishing industry. Uh, there's still a lot of tweaking and adjustments I feel like have to mm-hmm. be made to get it right, but that change is exciting. Uh, you know, I learned a lot about myself last year, about the way I've always approached fishing. I've had to change and adapt to be successful, and uh, I feel like I'm a better fisherman after competing at MLF for a year than, than I ever was. Now, outside of those one-off events that you've had in the past, you know, the Bass Fest here or there where they did do in every fish counts, this was your first experience with that, mm-hmm. being on that deal. And I've heard from several guys, um, some guys can excel at that. I mean, they, it's not out of their realm or their wheelhouse, but then there's other guys that really had to change the way they practice and the way they approach that game. Did you struggle at first with that? Because you made the first two cups, so it didn't seem like you struggled at all with it. Uh, it, it was a struggle. Uh, I've been a guy that I, I've always could care less about getting a lot of bites. I just wanted quality bites. And I approached the beginning of the season that way, and I think a lot of it was just the timing and the fishers, fisheries we were on. You know, I had some good events, but uh, halfway through those events, I had to make a lot of adjustments to, to continue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I've never had to really do that before. I've never had to really – worry about getting 20 bites a day and instead of worrying about a target weight like i need to catch 20 pounds a day i was worried about getting 20 or 30 bites so i did make adjustments this year mm-hmm. I, if i hadn't of i probably wouldn't have made the championship um you know I, I still have mixed feelings about it um i mean i i went fishing last week and i didn't go out there to catch a two pound spot i would rather catch one five pound spot that's just mm-hmm. the way i've always fished um you know but it's it's evolving it's changing um, you know, and I, I'm excited about it. I'm excited about the opportunity, you know, like, I, like the media platform we have over there is, is unbelievable and it's just happened so fast and new. There's obviously going to be some adjustments right, and, right. Uh, you know, I, I, I hope the fans and the, and the people that follow us, the, the fans that's followed me my whole career, you know, just, just give it a little time and keep watching and, you know, hopefully we'll deliver with a really awesome product and, you know, hopefully we'll mold it into something where I can still go to Okeechobee, put a big flipping stick in my hand and do my thing. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that's pretty interesting because I know <clears throat> people that know you and have followed you have definitely heard the word stubbornness used a lot in your <laughs> fishing style. So I was glad you covered that because that was definitely something I was interested in is, is when you do change formats from a, a heaviest five fish to basically a quantity. Um, and then I think it also goes back to what we were talking about a little bit ago about, you know, what's it going to take to cut a check? Well, you know, Every time you hear that store, score tracker ding off, you know you know where the line's at. So you know that's definitely got to play in the back of your mind of oh I got to make a change and I've got to make it quick. You know run out of time in period three or whatever it may be. Um, yeah, that stubbornness factor. When you're fishing for five fish, you could afford to be somewhat stubborn. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could literally be terrible for seven hours and in thirty minutes I look like a hero when I come in, and that does not happen in major league fishing. Like. Like, it's a pressure-packed day. We fish for seven and a half hours. Mm-hmm. And you are, whether, whether, no matter how your day goes, you can, I have been in the lead and I've been in last place and I've been on that cut line several times and it is stressful no matter where you're at. 
Like it's just, there's somebody breathing down your neck. And basically if you're not getting a bite, you're going backwards. And uh, I've actually had some events this year where I'd catch two or three in a row and they'd give me a score tracker update and I'd still be going backwards. You know, I was doing good, but I wasn't doing good enough. And uh, that pressure is something that I became addicted to. It's something you always feel pressure to perform in, especially in a, like a big national level event. But when you know where you stand every second of the day, it's a different kind of, I mean, it's an addiction now. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to teeing it up against the boys again and seeing, <laughs> seeing how it stacks out. I love our schedule this year. I've won on, I think, at least half of the lakes we've been to before. So, uh, you know, anytime you go to a lake where you have a previous history and had success, you obviously go in there with a lot of confidence. And, Absolutely. You know, you want to go do your thing and show everybody what you're capable of doing. Now, how often do you get a score tracker update? That's something I've always wondered. Dude, there's a lot of guys that it upsets them, it freaks them out. I love it. And I, for there's several reasons for that. Like, I started using it after about the third tournament to so I could make adjustments quicker. Uh, I mean, and you have to, you know, the whole strategy of fishing a major league fishing event is nothing like a five fish tournament. Like I said, you could kind of screw around for seven hours. You could run around the whole lake as long as you came in with five good ones. It didn't matter. But you can't do that in MLF. You can't run a lot. I mean. You know, you got to kind of pick an area of the lake and stay there because if you run from one end to the other, you'll never recover no matter how good you catch them. The guys are just too good and they catch too many fish too quick. So all of that was a big adjustment. I think all of us were guilty in a tournament or two of running around too much. And the tournaments were actually just found an area and I committed to it. I put the trolling motor down and fished as hard as I could for seven and a half hours were the ones that shaked out pretty good. Hmm. I know you mentioned it uh, looks like this season coming up, you've got some lakes that you feel pretty confident on. What is uh, what you think your toughest lake is? Man, I you know what? I hate to say that because every year I look at the schedule and I'm like, oh, Okeechobee, you fall. I'm licking my chops at all those. Mm -hmm. And the lake that I've never been to before, the one that I'm worried the most about is the one where I either have a chance to win or have my best tournament. Yeah. So I'm usually more excited about a lake I've never been to, which like this year we had Winnebago, we had the Raleigh tournament. I had really good events at both of those events, and I'd never seen them before. Uh, I, th I think that says a lot about bass fishing or tournament fishing in general, mm -hmm. though. Like, you know, you have once you go to a place and you catch a few fish or you have some success, you get these preconceived notions like, hey, man, I'm going to go there, and this is what I want to do because it worked for me before. You actually do better if you can just put all that, just forget it. Right. And uh, another thing, like I just – I'm not a waypoint fisherman. I got zero waypoints every tournament I start because that's how much I believe in that theory. Hmm. Like, like regardless, if I go to Gunnersville or Kentucky Lake in the middle of the summer, I'm really good about remembering areas, but I think those fish will move around somewhat. Pressure does it. You know, the river changing does it, but I'd rather relocate that fish, even if they're in the same spot, than just run to a waypoint, make a few casts, and don't get a bite. They may just be 30 yards away, so... It's how I've always approached it. There are a few other anglers. I know Brent Ayler, some of my good friends that approach it that way with no waypoints, and I'll always fish that way. Hmm. By the seat of my pants, I guess you'd say. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so you mentioned you're going back to North Carolina this year. We got you follow, and y'all smashed them in Raleigh. That was probably the most fun one to watch, I think. Yeah. At least as a fan of, and watching it, I thought that was an awesome tournament. But you've also won at Champlain. So you've got largemouth, you've got smallmouth wins this year. Beginning of the year, end of the year, starting at places you already won. That's yeah. got to just give you a little bit of good feeling going into it. 
Well, I know what to expect. You know, I know mm-hmm. where I'm going to stay. I know where I'm going to eat dinner. And I got a pretty good idea the times of year we're going, you know, the relevant patterns that, you know, I don't have to have 30 rods out when I get there. I can take six or eight rods, throw them on the deck of my boat and go fish the tournament. Mm-hmm. So from that, that standpoint, it makes it a little easier. But I don't underestimate the other 79 guys that I fish against. Like, right. they're going to bring it. They they all have fished those lakes just as much as I have. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's always somebody, you know, some obscure little place or, or deal or a new bait or technique that somebody's got dialed in that, that gets it done. And and uh, it's exciting, man. Like, I'm, I'm ready. I mean, they're, you know, some of my good friends. And then since we talked about uh, some of the other anglers, that's you talked about score tracker. Mm-hmm. I love to keep dibs on my good friends. Right. Because at the end of the day, I may finish like 70th. But if there's a handful of guys that's my good friends that are behind me, I still consider that a success sometimes. So uh, that makes it fun, man. I love that score tracker. Yeah. I mean, you're ultra competitive. I mean, with Justin, with anybody, a $5 bill, $100 bill, here or there. Yeah. Golf. Yeah. Any, I mean – you know, I, I'm a little older than some of those guys, and I will say I was way worse than them at their age. I've kind of mellowed out a little bit, but I love to get that stuff going. I love to get it going in the morning before we take off. Uh, you know, our team at Phoenix is some pretty competitive guys. You know, Bobby and Greg and Aaron and Lucas, all of those guys. We'll throw a little money in the hat, whether it be on the water, on the Mm -hmm. golf course, or at a cornhole game. Like, you never know with us, but it's always entertaining. And it's – I actually – the more stuff I can do off the water competitive, I feel like the better it makes me on the water too. Just it keeps those juices flowing. Give me five bucks. We'll race to the mailbox right now. Okay. All right. (laughs) (laughs) No. But you got those rods on your deck, and um, I've I've been wanting to talk to you about this. You launched your personal lineup. Of Randall Tharp Honey Badger Rods was it's been three years now? Two years. Two years. Two years. I know there's a lot of the Vihite model that these guys in this factory throw because I know a lot of them. I've, I brought a lot of them up here, but uh, you know they've done good. Uh, that company is three years old. My line's been mm-hmm. two years and it's doing super good. Uh, it's steady, steady growth, and we're always working just like Phoenix is to. With the late trying to find something new, the right. latest material, the new process. We got a new process now that uh, we're actually using high pressure to when when we wrap the. There's basically a metal rod, and they wrap it with material. Well, like we use carbon fiber, graphite, mix of graphite and glass. But instead of just heating it up and using resin, we're using high pressure to compress that around the thing, and it makes a lot thinner diameter, stronger rod and we had we unveiled that at icast this year and i mean you know you're doing something special when the shimanos and the Daiwas are sending their engineers over there to look at your stuff so uh you oh, know absolutely but we work hard at it the owner of the company spends a lot of time in in factories testing new 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 stuff and uh we stay one step ahead they're gonna copy us just because mm-hmm. that's what happens yep. and uh but but we'll have something new by the time they copy mm-hmm. us. So. so how'd you come up with you've got 11 casting rods three spinning rods i mean did you just sit down blank piece of paper said these are the 14 rods i need to do my job and this it. is what they need to be and how they need to feel and and start with a list that's for that a, that's exactly how it happened i mean he gave me an opportunity 
to, to build everything that I need to do my job on the water. And I'm not saying it's a perfect rod set for everybody, but it's a perfect rod set for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've got three composite models, which are cranking rods and a chatterbait rod. Uh, several, three pretty much just pure flipping sticks, uh, several good all-around purpose rods and and a, and a few spinning models and literally that's all that was in my boat all year i do get some of that new stuff that we did come out with i've got a few of those rods i fished with them last week and boy it's hard to hard to put one of those down just because mm-hmm. i've never felt a rod that felt like uh, like our new stuff at arc but uh i'm proud of my rods man like i put a lot of effort into them it's basically a lifetime of of fishing that that led to that mm-hmm. and uh you know, I, I like to win t- fishing tournaments, but it's 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 another thing to win a fishing tournament with a rod that you designed, with a lure that you designed. That pretty much every piece of that puzzle, I had something to do with, whether it's a the fishing line that I'm using or the lure on the end of my rod. You know, to to influence that and be able to design stuff to make stuff better. Uh, it, it's just it's just a different part of professional fishing that I never realized was there that now I'm a part of and enjoy. Mm-hmm. Well, we do that too. I mean, Brian gives me crap for it, but I love painting decoys. And to kill a duck over a decoy that you painted that you fooled something with something you made, is it's a really, really cool experience. So I can definitely attest to that. Um, I want to get back to the rods, though. When you got them, how long did you you know, mess with them, take them out fishing, till you said, yep, that's it, perfect? I mean, how many, how many trial and error times? Yeah, with, I'd say about half of them there was no trial and error. Really? Already, that's already. awesome. I already had blanks that I felt were perfect. Mm-hmm. So I just did things like change the components on it to, to what I felt was better than, than what I had previously. But the, the ones that I worked the hardest on was the composite rods. Cause at that time, two years ago, they, it was a brand new material. It was half the weight of anything else out there. And, uh, those, those took some tweaking because mm-hmm. they weren't right at first. Like they were either too stiff or too soft. And just to get that perfect action, with that new material, it took a lot of work. And I flew halfway around the world and spent a week on the water over there mm-hmm. with all these different blanks. But I did it in a week. You know, that was a benefit of me going over there is we weren't shipping stuff back and forth that would take right. months. I literally got a year's worth of work done in mm-hmm. a week because I went over there. And I've been over there the last two years and will continue to go over there just because I feel like it speeds the process up. Now, are you going, uh, you've already gone this year? I have not gone this year, and it doesn't look like I'm probably going to go. There's been a lot mm. of trips over there, but I wasn't involved. But uh, we're planning another big trip for next year. And, you know, I have not seen a Phoenix boat over there yet, but the day is coming. Yeah, I think there's a few in Japan over there. There are. Uh, so what when you do go over, I mean, obviously there's business to it. But what do you guys do for pleasure when you're over there? Do you even have time to do anything, um, you know, check out the countryside, or how does that work? The first year I went, Sarah and I got to hike on the Great Wall, which was pretty cool. Uh, There's not too many people that's done that in their lifetime. Uh, That that was my highlight of the first trip. But the the fishermen over there, man, I mean, I've hung around this. it's, It's almost like a cult. You know, bass fishing really isn't cool over there. Like, there's very little water, and there's very... Even the water that's over there, very little bit of it has bass in it. But every lake in that country, which is way bigger than the United States, with way the population is way bigger. And uh, but every lake that has bass in it, there's like a little cult, a little group of guys, and dude, they just want to learn how to catch a fish. And so much of their stuff is influenced from Japan. 
I mean, they don't even know what a flipping stick is over there. <laughs> the first time I bass fished over there, they put me in this lake, and we drove up from this city. We flew into this city that's in the middle of the country, and we drove up through the mountains on this two-lane dirt road for like two hours. We pull up to a gate, and there's people with machine guns standing at the gate. And the guy that's in charge of the lake, let, he comes down. He had to met, meet the guards. They let us in. We drive a little further, and there's a boat ramp, and there's a whole bunch of boats lined up right there. Wow. And we got in those boats, and there's just – my first impression was like, man, this water's pretty, it's clean, and there's all kinds of trees and stuff in the water. Like, like there was giant trees, like, submerged. And all these people are out there, and the only thing I see them fishing with is like a spinning rod with a, you know, a Ned rig or a drop shot or, <laughs> you know, a Cinco on it. And uh, I'll never forget, like, I didn't have a flipping stick. They, they were supposed to have all the tackle I needed, but I found, I found like a 7-2 bait casting rod. The biggest line they had was 15 pound, and I found one pack of tubes. And I, and I finally rigged me something up to fish with. And those guys followed me around for two days, and I caught good ones out flipping those trees. And, you know, the next time I go back, they filmed me. There was a lot of people watching me. A lot of people watched me on the water. I was in a bunch of magazines over there. And the next time I go back to the lake, everybody's going around the lake <laughs> flipping, you know. It was just cool to, in two days, kind of change the way those people approach that yeah. lake. Oh, that's awesome. No, that's great. Um, so not going back till next year. Um but tell us a little bit about the company arc. I mean, they're, they're fishermen, right? I mean, they get it. I mean, how's that feel to work with companies that, and I'm not talking about us, but I'm talking about arc that, that fish. I mean, does that, is that something you seek out as a professional to align with a company that has people in the organization that fish and that get it? Yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt. I mean, my entire, just about every company I work for, if you really look at it closely, the one thing we all have in common is we fish. Mm -hmm. And uh, Louie is a guy that owns that company, and I had known him from a previous business engagement with another company. Uh, I knew how hard he was working to get this new one started. And I, like I said, I've been a part of it from day one. But I think that's one reason for the success. We have that in common. And it doesn't matter if it's going bass fishing or going rim fishing or crappie fishing or saltwater fishing or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. He loves to fish, and he's obsessed with building stuff to catch fish. I mean, I look at, like, the late Ed Chambers with Zoom Baits. Mm -hmm. Same thing, man. That guy lived his whole life. He was obsessed with building things mm -hmm. to, to catch fish or trying to find a better way to do it. And uh, so you look at a Zoom bait. You look at, like, what's going on at ARC. You look what's going on right here at this plant at Phoenix. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's one common thing. We all love to fish, and we're all obsessed with building better, of trying to find a better way to do it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's that's a rewarding thing for somebody like me because I do know there's a lot of people in the same position I'm in that aren't happy or aren't, aren't you know, 100% satisfied with the companies they work for. They don't see... They're not on the same page. Right. And uh, that's one thing that I do feel like I have, and I've been fortunate to have, and, you know, it's I feel lucky. I really do. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's awesome. Awesome. So before before we get too much further, Tim and I were talking about this yesterday, um, and I would get in a lot of trouble when I get home if I don't ask. My son, I've got a nine-year-old son, um, and we were listening to some podcasts and stuff that you've done, and, and he was actually uh, reading on some of your website and stuff, and he is just dying to know – where the name Honey Badger came from. He, he wants to know the whole story. I remember he's nine. So. Yeah, he's nine. So he hadn't seen the video. <laughs> well, I would like to, uh, the whole thing came, and I will give you the G-rated version. The whole thing came from a, a, 
a video on YouTube that kind of went viral, I would probably guess seven or eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And I actually get, get honey badger videos. Todd Sosner, a bass fan, sent me one two days ago, a, le- a new honey badger video where it's basically you got the honey badger, he's got this giant python he's fighting to try to try to eat it. And all these jackals are coming around trying to steal the python from him. And he basically defeats the the python. And there's a whole pack of jackals. And he defeats that. And he gets the python. And this was a new one that just came out, which is going viral now. But the honey badger is kind of an animal that overcomes adversity. And uh, I would like to say it's something I came up with. I actually didn't even like it. But my buddy Rob Newell, who is he is the, one of the hosts of, of Major League Fishing now, but he covered the very first bass tournament that I ever won, which was on Lake Eufaula. That's when I met him, probably 10 or 11 years ago. And then he worked for FLW. He was a host of their live show. But he he followed my career real, real close, and we've got to be good friends. He's the one that gave me the nickname. Okay. And he watched what happened with me. I had a run at Okeechobee that went on five or six years, and uh, we've got a visitor right here. That's Mr. Greg, the mm-hmm. master designer of our boats. Um, but, uh, I had a good run. I think I had eight or nine top tens in a row and like tour level or strand level events down there. And, and, you know, I'd fish derbies down there, me and McMillan and several other friends, Kobe Krieger, JT Kenny, we would fish tournaments down there all winter because we'd always have two or three big events to start the year. And I could make two or $3,000 every weekend down there. There used to be a, you know, the lake was beautiful. It was really healthy. Uh, People came from all over the country to fish down there in the wintertime, so I'd spend my winters down there and make some money. But the downside of that is I developed, you know, I had a reputation, and people knew when those big tournaments came that I was going to go to the juice, so I got followed around a lot. <laughs> but like the honey badger does, I mean, he, you know, I learned how to use that to my advantage. Like I, that pressure and, and all the boats that followed me, I wouldn't say I would set them up, but that's how the nickname happened. <laughs> Rob Rob called me the honey badger, because, and, and all the other, I would call them poachers, I guess, were the jackals and birds, yep. taking advantage of all the hard work that I did, and, and then the honey badger won. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. I like that. So what? Uh, going back to what Tim was talking about earlier, your rods and stuff like that, do you, do you have any new products coming up, anything new coming out? Uh, with arc, I do, I I think we're working on not really, uh, redoing any of the blanks in my series because it's, it's one of the best selling series in the entire arc lineup. So I don't want to change it too much, but I think we're going to do maybe a cosmetic update, just, just an updated look and updated graphics, uh, stuff like that on my series. Uh, the, the, the new stuff we've been working on with that high pressure stuff we're doing with the rod blanks, like that's exciting to me. We've got two new lines with that technology we're using. So uh, I may throw in a few of those models in my line eventually, or, or maybe utilize that technology if we can. We, I, you know, I've got a price point. Those are really expensive rods. Mine are kind of somewhere in the middle. I would like to be able to offer that technology in, in my price point, but it's not, you can't do it right now. Right, so. right. No, can't sacrifice that and that. B Heidi's the deal. Yeah, I yeah, love the, that Ron. The B Hite, I, I, I guess I, I've been saying it wrong now. B Hite. Yeah, there's a story behind that too. So uh, we were in Louisiana and we had a bunch of good. B Height has got fans all over the mm-hmm. world. I've come to find out, and he's obviously known for being the chatterbait king. Right. I mean, he was the one that told me, man, you got to be throwing that on a glass cranking stick. You're totally messing up. And 
So I went out there and tied it on. I came back and said, man, you are an idiot. This thing feels terrible. I don't like it. And about two days later, every, you know, I wouldn't lose any fish anymore. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, he's a good friend of mine. We all bounce ideas off each other. You know, that particular rod, he likes it a lot. He helped me with, you know, getting it just right. You know, he's got a couple rods with other rod manufacturers that are real similar, although I still think mine's the best. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I had fun naming my rods. It's something that's worked really well in my series. You know, when people call to order the rods, if you most rod companies, it's just a number. Right. It's real right. confusing. Oh, 72HC, whatever. Mm -hmm. Hey, man, I need five hammers. I need two money makers and 10 Behites. Like, <laughs> you know, it just simplified the thing. It's something that uh, I think's helped sell, sell a few more. And, uh, you know, I haven't had very many people at all have a complaint about any of them like no. at the Behite, the money maker the hammers my three best sellers out of all of them right. I actually sell less you know there's a couple technique specific ones like the okeechobee special the gunnersville special or just braided line flipping sticks mm -hmm. those are probably the i'm proud of those rods but i don't sell as many of them as right. i do the other ones so you and sarah are down here today picking up the new rig running a 920 this year and this is the second year you've been running the 920 now where you just want to get more speed or do you miss having a 21 footer? No, you know, it, 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 I love the 21. I, I, I don't have anything bad to say about any of the Phoenix models I fished in all of them. But one thing that I learned saltwater fishing years ago is, is it's not the speed I'm concerned mm -hmm. with. Uh, obviously the, the smaller boat for me, the way I fish, I love to fish shallow, I love to get in tight places. There's a huge difference in one foot in, a, in any boat. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the 20 works best for me in, in my style of fishing. I do feel like it is a little faster. It comes out of the hole quicker so I can get it up on plane uh, in shallower water. And uh, But it just fishes and displaces less water. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Brian runs a 921. I, I do a 20 PHX. We're both still good friends. We can, we can have different opinions, right? That's right. <laughs> we'll still go to eat together. Yeah. Day, you know? yeah. But no, I completely understand it. It's definitely, especially with you guys out there, you need – it's a tool a boats mm -hmm. a tool and it's for you to do your job and put food on the table you got to have what you need and what works for you i mean justin lucas it was the same way when we talked to him the other week uh he likes having the two lids on his 921 versus the one big single lid it's just what y'all need to to have out there uh to be able to do your jobs yeah i, I love the, the layout of my boat the 920 i like the two lids as well and i like both sides being for rod you know rod rod storage mm -hmm. on both sides um you know, they all, every boat I've ever had in my lifetime, they all have advantages and disadvantages. It's a balancing act. So I, I do feel like the 920 for me is the perfect balance for the way I like to fish. You know, I don't think a guy that lives on Lake Erie, that might not be the perfect boat for him. Right. I think the PHX will be the perfect boat mm -hmm. for him. So, you know, in the Phoenix rod line, like I fish out of Aaron's boat, I fish out of everybody's boat. I'll spend a little time in Lucas's boat, not only just to see the boat, but the electronics, how he's got everything set mm -hmm. up. You know, at this stage of my career, I think it's important to know, hey, whether I'm sponsored by that company or not, I want to see. Right. You know, so so I see those subtle differences in the boats. And, uh, you know, I, that's why that's why Phoenix builds so many different models of boats. I do think there is a perfect Phoenix for however you like to fish mm -hmm. or whatever region of the country you're in. Right. You know, you can look at Hackney runs the same boat I run. I think we fish real similar. Mm -hmm. There's something to that. But uh, one thing I don't think anybody has ever talked about much as far as bass fishing goes, and it's something I didn't really realize, is about the water displacement. Uh, I used to have a little skiff that floated in four inches of water. I could literally get right next to a fish. He never knew I was there. Mm -hmm. 
now I've got this giant boat that I saltwater fish in, and I can't get 100 yards from a fish without them knowing I'm there. So, <laughs> you know, I don't care if you're in an 18-foot boat or a 21- or 22-foot boat. I'm telling you, you're in that fish's environment. They know you're there. I feel like I catch more fish out of a smaller boat. That's the bottom line. I feel like I can get closer to one. I, I make a living because I feel like I can be stealthier than the guy next to me. I can sneak up on them quieter. I can be quieter, make a presentation quieter, and I get more bites because of it. So for me, that 20, I feel like it gives me a slight advantage in that category, so that's why I run it. I like, like that. Yeah. What Talking about your two lids, this is something I'm curious. I like to ask a lot of people this. What do you keep in your two center center boxes? What do you uh, what do you decide to put in the front box versus the rear box right there on the front deck? Yeah, the reason I like that, it simplifies things. So I keep all of my – I don't like anything stacked on top of each other. I like to be able to look in there and see what I have. So the first box, the biggest one, is all just hard baits, and it's all in, in Bass Mafia boxes right there. So crankbaits, topwater baits, you know, spinner baits, everything I need is in a box in that compartment. So I open that front box and everything I get in there is soft plastics. So the, the only thing I will do is when I get dialed in in a tournament and say I'm catching them on a, a Z crawl or something, I will then, you know, after practice is over, it's game time, we're fixing the fish, I'll hang it on the, the lure hangers that come mm -hmm. standard on a Phoenix. I'll hang all my plastics there so I never have to go in the front box unless it's an emergency you know, unless they're really biting good and I mm -hmm. go through a few bags of them, I never even have to go into that front box on tournament day. But I can literally, there's so much storage in the 20. I have everything I need to catch a fish from Okeechobee to the Great Lakes in that boat at all times. I may not have a bunch of it, but I've got, I've got at least one of everything in there. Mm -hmm. And that's not an easy thing to accomplish with, if you go to a tackle store these days, you can be so confused. Oh, absolutely. You can't. It's hard to do everything, but I've fished enough now and been at this game long enough. You never know what you're going to need. Mm -hmm. I mean, I might go to Okeechobee. You never know. I might need to get a spinning rod out. To catch Bust up the Ned rig on Okeechobee, absolutely. I, I've seen it work. <laughs> I have seen it work, so I'm not going fishing without one, but uh, that's how I organize it. Uh, a lot of what we do is just being efficient. Okay. And uh, So that system, I feel like, makes me efficient. Now, you got rods both sides. Do you like having the two rod lockers? Do you have game time on one side and, and backups on the other, or is it spinning and bait casting? Okay, so so one of my favorite features about, you know, the, the 921 and the 920 is that you can put four spinning rods next to the passenger seat. So I don't like the spinning rods even close to my bait casting <laughs> rods. So uh, the left rod box, which is which is I feel like the biggest one that I can fit the most in, uh, is usually just flipping sticks, braided line rods, pretty much big, big rods and pr hardly any rods over there with treble hooks. Mm -hmm. The the right side rod box for me, my chatter baits, my crank baits, all my treble hook lures go in the right side. Mm -hmm. And then my spinning poles go in the back. Cause I don't them. like them touching my <laughs> other poles. Like I used to only have two. I actually, I worked with a guy last week who's a Coosa river rat. He has two spinning poles to his name. And I looked at him and I just smiled and I said, yeah, I used to be just like that. Wait, about <laughs> two or three more years out here, you'll have like six of those spinning poles. And, uh, you know, so I do, I carry, I carry at least three spinning rods in my boat now all the times. And I keep them back there by the passenger. Um, that's how I set it up. Uh, you know, my back boxes, I keep one empty for the camera guy, whoever's in my boat. The other one, rain suit, tools, stuff like that. What about uh, on the water snacks? 
What, what's your go-to there? Uh, it's pretty simple. I usually don't have to go through a lot of trouble because my wife travels with me. She always makes sure I have ice, water. Uh, usually, for some reason, one vitamin lemonade per day is like a thing that I like on the boat. Uh, Cliff Bar, bag of nuts, and a fruit. That's that's that's. And I used to not eat. I was stubborn. Uh, when in my younger days, but I found out I was a much better angler if I would eat a little bit and uh, two boiled eggs to start the day also. Okay. So I'll have two boiled eggs usually before I ever make a cast. And then now in Major League Fishing, we get 15-minute breaks, which is need to be extended. Like we need 20 because it takes me 12 minutes every time to re-rig my rods and get my stuff in order. <laughs> and I have three minutes before we have lines back in to eat, a, eat whatever it is that I have to eat. And it's, it's usually not quite enough time. So Sarah's traveling with you, has been for most of your career or all of the, your career. How important is that, uh, that support system? Dude, it is a huge advantage. Mm -hmm. like, like there is no doubt she makes my life easier. Like I don't have to go sit in a laundromat to do my laundry. You know, I don't have to go to the grocery store. Like when I'm on the water, she takes care of that mm -hmm. stuff. And, and I would like to say that I'm being the competitive person that I am. I love for the other guys to see that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, th those guys, we get done with a long practice day. It's raining, whatever. Those other guys are tying their boat up to the dock, you know, walking up, getting in their truck, soaking wet. And I pull up to the dock and my trailer's in the water every time. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know. I just get a little grin on my face, especially <laughs> when it's Lucas at the dock. That's right. That's right. <laughs> oh, shoot. Well, look, we really appreciate you taking time out, uh, spending time with us today. Um, no, you guys got to get back on the road, but uh, next time you're in town, next win, we're definitely going to be calling once we figure out how to call you and hook, you know, hook it up to this uh, this contraption we've got here. We'll definitely be in touch. Dude, you know what would be – I really think the next time we need to do this, we need to get a few of us in here, like, together. Oh, absolutely. And you guys wouldn't have anything to do then. You just sit back and watch the show go on because once mm -hmm. you put a bunch of us in a room, you know how it gets. I will just put a GoPro up and leave. That's right. Hit record <laughs> and we're done. <laughs> Dude, it was fun. Uh I love coming up here. I don't get nervous anymore like I used to. It feels like coming home. And, man, I just thank you guys. Thank Absolutely. you guys for doing what you do and building the best damn boat on the water. There's no doubt about it. We appreciate it. Like Tim said, we, we, we can't thank you so much for sitting down with us and having Miss Sarah with us. We enjoyed lunch with you guys. Um, you know, next time you come up, just make sure you get one of those strawberry pies I've heard about. <laughs> heard, oh, Duke, heard stories about those. Oh, yeah. Duke, Duke's rubbing that in, Duke and Andy. Yes, they are. I'll, I'll make sure that happens. <laughs> All right. We appreciate it, Randall. All right, thank you.